great. It's a bit of a joke that um, I'm talking about cleaning. If, uh, if you knew me about 10 years ago, um, I probably was a really dirty person. Um, so I thought nothing of leaving my bed sheets for over six months without washing them. <laughs> um, you know, it kind of kept them warm and smelt good. Um, <laughs> It's only when I met a, I was talking to a friend and she said that she was washing her sheets and she did it every other week that I realised something was wrong in my life. Um, since being married, um, John loves having clean sheets almost every week if possible. So uh, my washing and cleanliness has definitely um, improved. Uh, today is about cleanliness. Um, it's about cleanliness on lots of different levels. Um, I'm not speaking as someone who's got it sorted at all either in the cleanliness of my washing my bedclothes or in the cleanliness of my life as a Christian before God. Um, So I'm just going to simply try and retell um, what Jesus says and the interactions he has um, with the disciples in John 13. But before we start, I hope you don't mind doing some work. I want you to discuss with the person next to you, um, if tonight was the last night of your life, if tomorrow you were going to die... Um, But more than that, if tomorrow you were going to die and um, the reason you were going to die is because your closest friend had betrayed you, uh, what would you do tonight? How would you spend the evening? Who would you spend it with? Uh, And what would you do? Do you mind just discussing? If you're not next to someone, just move along, say hello and just discuss. What would you do tonight? Okay, so I wonder, what, um, I wonder what you would do tonight if tonight was your last night. Would you go down into town and go to your favourite, most expensive restaurant and order the biggest, fattest steak in the world and eat that um, with your friends or maybe on your own or with family or your mother? Um, I wonder whether you would host a, a party or a meal at your house. And if you did that, who would cook? Uh, more to the point, who would wash up? Um, who, who would pack away? If this really was your last night before you died, how would you feel? Um, what sort of fear and intrepidation would you feel? Um, how do you feel about dying? How do you feel about this close friend that had betrayed you? We can't imagine what it's like, can we, to feel like Jesus himself 
But if we begin to imagine what it would be like for us to die tomorrow, um, what, what are the kind of things we would do, then maybe we can begin to enter into this story. And that is exactly where this story is. So let's open up John chapter 13 and have a read. So John chapter 13, starting from verse 1, I'll read through to chapter verse 17. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, are you going to wash my feet?' Jesus replied, You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, the person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So imagine this night, the night before Jesus dies. Um, Jesus knows, verse 1, that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. This long-awaited time had finally come. Imagine that he um, also knows, verse 2, that Judas Iscariot had already started this process of betraying him. So one of his most loved, the one um, that he taught, the one that he shared his life with, uh, a really close friend, was about to betray him. Imagine how you'd feel if you were Jesus. And then if you were Jesus and you had this final meal, um, who would you invite to the meal? Where would you have the meal? What kind of meal would you have? Um, and actually it's really interesting to have a look at who Jesus does invite to the meal. So he invites the disciples, but with special mention of Judas. John really wants us to know that Judas has been invited to this meal, even though Jesus knew he would betray him. So the disciples are invited, Judas is invited. 
But what about who's not invited? We might not pick this up very quickly, but um, in Luke's account of um, this story, um, Jesus really intentionally says to Peter and James, go to the special guest room that I've decided and make preparations for the Passover meal. So Jesus had made preparations for the meal, but actually he hadn't provided a servant to wash their feet. So who wasn't invited? Someone to wash their feet. That might seem like nothing to us uh, when you come to our house for dinner. It's not that John and I get out the the basin and the cloth and and wash your feet. But actually that was a a really shocking thing um, for a guest not to have done to them. When you went to someone's home for dinner, um, your feet would be disgusting. You'd have open-toed sandals, the roads would be covered in dirt and debris and dust and animal poo. So your feet would be calloused and hard and caked in the dry heat with mud and dirt. So it was socially acceptable, it was the right thing to do to have someone to wash their feet. In fact, really, they shouldn't have been eating with their feet unclean. So Jesus invited Judas, he invited the disciples, but there was no one there to wash the disciples' feet or to wash his feet. How would you um, expect Jesus to act at this meal? Have a look um, at verse 3. Jesus had been given all power from God the Father himself, verse 3. And also he'd been given all status. He'd come from God and was returning to God. So imagine at this meal, you knew that Judas was going to betray you tomorrow, or had this process already started. You had all power and all authority from God the Father himself. And you had the status of being the Lord of Lords, the Father from the Father, the love from the Father. So you had status, you had power, and you knew that there was a betrayer amongst you. What would you do if you were Jesus? Well, I probably wouldn't invite Judas to my house for dinner to spend my parting hours with him. But if I did invite him, if I'm honest, I'd have plans to take him into our back garden, use an axe and and get rid of him. Um, Or at least just make him feel really, really bad about what he was going to do to me the following day. I probably wouldn't invite him at all. So Jesus has the power to do this, but he doesn't. He has the status to be worshipped but he does something very different. So how does Jesus act in this situation on the last night of his life? Verse 4 is so understated. It says, So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Now, this doesn't seem so shocking to us. I think, sadly, we've got used to Jesus being our servant. If I'm honest, I think it's something he's chosen to do, and that's good and right. But this is absolutely shocking and humiliating behaviour for Jesus, the Lord, the teacher, the Messiah, to do. And we can see that because of Peter's reaction. I can understand why Peter reacted as he did. Have a look at verse 6, how he reacts. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realise what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. 
Peter is so humiliated by this act. He's so shocked that Jesus, the Lord, the Messiah, the teacher, would stoop down so low to wash his feet. This role was meant to be for the lowest of the low slaves. Jewish slaves weren't supposed to wash people's feet. Only Gentile slaves were supposed to wash feet. This was for the despised slaves of the day. This is no way for the Messiah, the Lord, or the teacher. In fact, the reason why their feet hadn't been washed this far is because the disciples felt it was too demeaning for them to wash each other's feet. So even they didn't want to wash each other's feet. It should have been one of them, the lowest one of them, chosen to to wash the feet. But instead, Jesus, so he got up from the meal. So we can see how shocking this is by seeing Peter's reaction. No way, don't wash me, you cannot wash me. I don't want to be part of this, this humiliation. But it's amazing because Peter is teachable, isn't he? Haven't we learned that although Peter cocks up and makes mistakes, he is really teachable. Um, have a look further down. Um, in fact, he goes a bit overboard, doesn't he? He says, Jesus says to him, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He goes overboard. He says, Jesus, wash all of me. I want to be washed by you. I want to be cleansed by you. So Jesus is their servant. In shocking humiliation, he does something that one of them wouldn't even do themselves. But actually something deeper than this is happening. It's not just their calloused, hard, dirty feet that are being washed. Something much more significant is happening in these verses. Have a look at verse 10. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean though not every one of you. So Jesus is saying here that they need to have their feet washed because they're dirty. They've been on the streets. There's animal poo, there's dirt, there's debris, there's dust. They need to have their feet cleaned. But actually, they don't need a bath because their body is clean already. It makes sense on one level, doesn't it? But actually, what is he talking about? He's talking on a much deeper level. He says, verse 10, um, and you are clean though not every one of you. He can't just be talking about feet washing because he's just washed their feet. So what's he saying about um, the person that's not clean? Well, first of all, he's pronouncing um, that they are all clean apart from one of them. He knows that that one is Judas because Judas is about to betray him. And for Judas, he's not clean. His feet might be clean, but he's not clean inside. So Jesus is not just the servant that cleans feet, but he's our servant that cleans our lives. And I want us just to stop and pause for a second and think about that. Jesus is our servant that cleans our lives. He's pronouncing to Peter, Peter, you are clean. And he says the same to us because of the cross. When I was um, in Edinburgh a few weeks ago, I met a guy who describes himself as an ex-atheist and an ex-Muslim. He said, nay, what I really need is a religion that will make me clean. If Zed was here today, he would be desperate to hear this message. I've got a friend um, called Bridget, and recently one of her close friends died. um, And he had really bad relationships with his sister. And his sister said, I just feel so sad 
that my brother has died and those relationships weren't resolved. I need something that will resolve the past, that will make me clean. As I look into my life and I remember certain things I've done or said, the way I've treated certain people, I come to this passage and I say, Jesus, make me clean. And I guess the question I want to ask you is, is this good news to you this morning? Is it good news to you that Jesus is offering to clean you? So when I said to John yesterday, John, um, do do you see yourself as clean or a bit clean or maybe a bit dirty? John said, I look at myself and I often think that I'm dirty. I need to be cleaned. To be honest, if I answered that question, I'd probably say I'm fairly clean. I'm not sure if I realise how dirty I actually am. So my question is, is it good news to you that Jesus is offering to clean you? Or like Peter in the first instance, are you saying, no way, I'm not having any part of this. I don't want you to clean me. So how clean are you? Do you need a bit of a dust with the old, um, you know, polished cleaner? Do you need a good deep spring clean that's probably coming around sometime soon? Um, Do you need just a bit of anti-back with a wipe? How clean are you? Are you trying to clean yourself up? Um, Are you saying, I need to be clean before I meet Jesus? He could never have me in the way I am. But do you actually need to hear these words, you are clean? Believe it, trust it. Whatever your past, whatever your thoughts, you are clean. So what about those of us that don't feel particularly dirty? Let's just have a quick look at Isaiah 64. I find these verses fairly frightening. So for those of us like me who don't really see that they're particularly dirty... Thank you. Page 750. So Isaiah 64, verses 4 to 9. Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. So for those of us in this room like me, who would probably say I'm not particularly dirty, we need to hear this, that even our righteous acts are like filthy rags. But you may be sitting in this room saying, I know I'm dirty. I know I need cleaning. You wouldn't believe the things I've thought or done or said. So do you believe the words when Jesus says, you are clean? Jesus is not just talking about um, physical cleanness. He's already washed their feet, but he's talking about their hearts, their lives. And he can only do that because of what he's about to do the next day. So, if you, sorry to flick around, but if you could also just open up Hebrews 9, someone can ch- shout the page number. 1208. Sorry, 1207. So, Jesus can only offer to clean us inside because of what he was about to do. The disciples didn't understand that, but Jesus said, You will understand. 
and the letters are evidence, aren't they, that they did understand. So what does Hebrews say? It says the blood, sorry, Hebrews 9.13, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean, which is what I guess Jesus was doing with the foot washing. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? So when I ask you the question, how clean are you? Do you need a dust? Um, Do you need anti-back? Do you need a deep cleaning? Actually, what Jesus has done on the cross for us, when he looks at us, he says, you are spotless, you are blameless, you are perfect, you are holy, you are my precious white bride, walking down that aisle, not in a dress because you deserve it, but in a white dress because I have made you clean. Just pause a second, breathe, enjoy that. Whatever you've done, whatever you're going to do, Jesus has made you clean. Jesus says, if you love me, I have made you clean. Some find it hard to let Jesus clean them, whether it's pride, whether it's wanting to do it ourselves, whether we're thinking we're too dirty for Jesus. Can you see clearly here, Jesus wants to clean us. But let's go back to the story. Um, Jesus is firstly a servant that cleans feet. He's a servant that cleans our lives. And he's also a servant that we're to follow. Verse 12. um, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. They obviously don't really understand because he answers their question. He says, you call me teacher the one that instructs, and Lord, the master, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And then he says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So Jesus, who is the one with all power under him, who is the one with the greatest status, loved by the Father, the Son of God himself. Jesus, the one who should have been served and loved and worshipped by the disciples, was actually the one that got on, got down, put on um, the towel, uh, wrapped it round his waist and put on the servant's clothing. Jesus has set them an example He's saying, if the greatest among you can be the least, then you have no excuse. No one is exempt. I have set you an example. Sometimes Christians are questioned for being doormats, um, but actually what this is saying in verse 17 is that if you live like this, loving other people, putting other people first, serving other people out of your love for God, you will be blessed. You will be happy. You will be fulfilled. This love isn't a du- this service isn't a duty, it's characterised by love. Can you see verse 1? This is all about Jesus' love for the disciples. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. His whole service of foot washing, of dying on the cross, was because he wanted the disciples to know he loved them. That he loved them right until the very end. So what's your service characterised by? Is it motivated by duty or by guilt or by trying to impress others? 
or is it characterised by love? So some find it hard to be cleaned by Jesus, but some find it hard to clean others. How do you find serving people? If I'm honest, it's easy serving people in public. Um, It's really hard serving people in private. It's hard serving people when they don't thank you, and when they read to you, and when they reject you. And I think the challenge that our motivation is to be love and is to be for our love for God is a really big one, isn't it? But what's really incredible, just to finish, is that Jesus has all this power, all this status, and yet he gave up everything. He gave up his status, he became humiliated, he was part of this shocking service. Not just the foot washing, but the cross was prompted by his love too. If the disciples found the foot washing humiliating, how much more would they find the cross a sign of humiliation? In this day and age, um, humility was a sign of weakness. So Jesus gave up everything to be centred on other people so that they would know his love. Let's turn to Philippians 2 and see this. Um, in action. (coughs) Philippians 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So today, are you willing for Jesus to clean you? Are you willing to clean others, motivated purely from love and from nothing else? Is it time that you stop and recognise how awesome what it is that Jesus has done for us? How humiliating? Do you realise that um, it was for our sin, our transgression that he became a servant to clean us. Let's pray. Father God, we really do associate with Peter. And um, we're so sorry that we don't see the dirt in our lives. We don't see the need to be washed by you. Father, thank you for loving us to the end. Thank you for helping us gently and slowly see our sin. Thank you, Lord, that when we do see that, you pronounce us as clean. Father, I pray that we would understand what it means to be loved to the end by you. Father, I pray that you would help us um, believe that you have made us clean. When sin and our consciences and actions um, plague us, I pray that you would remind us that we are clean and white and spotless and holy and pure and blameless before you. 
Father, we thank you that Jesus was willing to take on um, this humiliating act in order to show us love, in order for us to be made clean. Please would you um, help our service of you be characterised by love. Please would you challenge us to our hearts of how we serve and what we do. Lord, we're so sorry the way we serve so well in public and so awfully in private. Forgive us of our moans and gripes and unwillingness to, to freely love and serve and humiliate ourselves and the love of others. Lord, please would you change us as a church and would you just remind us afresh as we take communion uh, what you have done for us. Father, we love you and we are so grateful that you love us without condition. Amen.